Welcome to Scale School, my friends. I'm Dan Bolton, and my purpose here is simple. I wanna help you increase the scalability of your coaching or consulting business so as it gets bigger, life gets better. Here we will be talking everything from getting clients, keeping clients, teams, leadership, but most importantly, making scaling simple and fun again. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you get a ton out of today's episode. Cool, dude, we're finally doing it. So finally. this is hilarious. James and I were just talking about how you and I, we don't have to, there's no one else here. No, it's no. just us. Dude, we have had this conversation uh, just not recorded for hundreds of hours. Of Literally the last hundreds. Years. Yeah. Literally hundreds. It's funny, man. I don't know what's kept us from actually putting the putting the camera on or, or a mic and just like sharing it. And I think like I had a conversation with you or I text you when I was in New Zealand a few weeks ago and I was like, we have to record something because I feel like we have good conversations and it's not like we have all the answers, but we have yeah. answers that have worked for us that will hopefully work for other people as well. Yeah. And so I have a sense of like obligation to go like, let's just sh like turn it on, share what we have and hopefully, uh, you know, one or two people will be helped in the process. We have to do it. Yeah. So we live in Bali. You live two minutes up the road, which is fantastic. And um, I actually can't remember where we met. We, I, I got to know you more deeply at, Taki Moore's event end of 2019, I think, in Manly in Sydney. Yeah. Had we met before then? We'd chatted, but we hadn't physically met before. Classic, classic internet friends. Even though the, the little tiny internet community in New Zealand is literally tiny. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then um, and then you were in Bali at the time, so you came over to Manly, we spent those few days together, you went back to Bali, COVID happened, you came back to New Zealand, we spent a lot of time uh, together then. I remember we spent a couple of days together in Auckland, which was great. Um, when our, when our cities weren't in lockdown, um, and, uh, it was such a weird time. And, and now that I live here, it's just been amazing. Cause we obviously yeah. get to catch up, yeah. uh, multiple times a week. Yeah. And, uh, there's our favorite cafe out there, uh, called honey that we hang out at. And so, um, anyway, if we go back for you, I met you when you were already doing this and yeah. there was a time when you weren't. What, right. is the, what is this, by the way? Exactly. I mean, what, what do we do? I think do, we'll dude? go there, though. Yeah, yeah. So whatever it is, the heck that we do right now, there yeah. was a time when you didn't do that. And so without going through the whole origin story of like... Well, and actually, let me ask, because I don't even know. Yeah. Where were you born? Born in Auckland, okay, New gotcha. Zealand. Yeah. But most of the adult life was in the UK. So I went there in, in my early 20s. Right. So what were you doing in the UK? So my first jobs were all in sales. Right. So moved Say there. Say that again. What sales? In sales. Oh, in sales. So I got, I got, the, I got the blue chip training. Right. like Vodafone, BMW, and those companies. And then I went to become a financial advisor. Right. And um, I went there and they were like, hey, we lend money out and we charge interest on it and people pay it back. And I was like, oh, this is a bank. Yeah. Cool. And so um, I always wanted to work for myself. Dad Dad was a entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. You know, did car parks and music businesses and all, the, all kinds of things. Right. So that, that was like the model. You know, you do, you do your own thing. Mm. And um, went worked for a bank and was like, I have to turn up to a bank and wear a uniform yeah. and like completely the opposite of what an entrepreneur wants to do about, you know, wear what we're wearing and no shoes and shit like that. Yeah. But it was like, oh, okay, this business thing can be really simple. You can just have something that people want. Right. So I started a finance company, but the finance company, I started a finance I company. I got a consumer credit license in the UK and I went door to door and I sold photography packages. Right in low income areas. Yeah, so right. I would knock on a door and I'd sell them a photography package for 200 quid. Right. And then they'd pay it off interest free over 20 weeks yeah. at 10 pounds a week. And then after four weeks, Love I could it. go and sell that to a finance company who'd pay me more than the face value of everything. And I made a couple of hundred quid off each one. Yeah. And um, I was like, this is good. This is good. And then- um, But, but look, quick pause. 
was it good in the sense of how did you find the work part of it? Like you're knocking on doors selling photography. Like was that yeah. was it a brutally hard season of like learning the skills and having doors shut in your face? See, I didn't. And even in hindsight, I didn't. Right. Because when I was at school, all my friends were going to work at the mall to do present wrapping and work at the body shop and the warehouse over Christmas. Right. Like when we were 14, 15. And I was like, screw that. You get five bucks an hour. Right. And I went to do like work in a galvanizing factory for 20 bucks an hour, like work stacking magazines. So I was always like, where's the highest yield? I didn't, I never minded the work. Yeah. So I think going forward into like knocking on doors sucks. Right. Because the, the level of rejection and danger you get yeah. is ridiculous. But I never, even in hindsight, and maybe I've romanticized it because I've told the story many times. Yeah. Even in hindsight, I didn't find it difficult. I found it interesting because I love, I love creating something and offering it to someone else and, and then learning and tweaking along the way. Mm. And that's been the cons- consistent path through there. Yeah, right. So you're, so you're selling these, doing this stuff door to door. And then where did it go from there? So I learned WordPress and I learned SEO because the, the guys I was selling my leads to, they were like, we're, we're doing online leads. Yeah. So I self-taught myself WordPress and I self-taught myself SEO and I started dabbling with Google ads. Right. So I started generating leads online. So I could get an online lead for like six or seven pounds and sell it for 50 quid to these. They're kind of, I mean, they're, they're called kneecap finance companies. I mean, they're do, they're, they trap people in debt, which I like look back in hindsight and go, yeah, the moral. Wait a minute. The moral, you know, kind of things. And, and that's what made yeah. me end it. Yeah. Because I was like, I saw someone say, you know, if you can't imagine being in this business in five years, like why are you even in it today? Yeah. But and correspondingly, at the same time, I got done and I had a £70,000 uh, bill that I owed on uh, ads and all these things for leads that I couldn't sell to them because they all went out of business in the financial right. crisis. Oh, okay. So, so that was around the time, 2008, yeah. 2009. So in the, in the space of a couple of weeks, all my customers went out of business and stopped paying me. The financial crisis hit and found out we were pregnant with our first child. <laughs> what, what was that period of your life like? Again, like as a marketer, I've probably romanticized it. So it's even, it's even more difficult to tell. Yeah, yeah. It was fucking stressful. Right. It was unbelievably stressful. But it's in those moments where you're like, what do I really want to do? Who do yeah. I really want to be? And was that clear to you at that time? Or is that something that was evolving? Like, No, not at all. I think, you know, in hindsight, the North Star has always been the tinkering piece. Mm-hmm. Making something, putting it out there. Like I was always a top performer in sales. Because I'd always be interested in the person and interested in the psychology of what I was saying, what was coming across, the dynamic, the relationship and those things. And I think the next thing that I did, I was literally sitting at home one night watching everything crumble and I emailed a startup in London called Living Social. So Groupon and Living Social have both come onto the market, the daily deals market, and Mm -hmm. then just exploded into this thing because local businesses could use them to get customers which is notoriously difficult right and i emailed the general manager who like they'd come to london they had about four or five people and he said can you be in central london at eight o'clock the next morning it's like yeah this is like a response like that to yeah, an yeah. email at you know 11 o'clock at night got there got the job on the spot and then 16 months later there were 350 people they'd been funded with 800 million by amazon i was in the middle of another thing which was all about making lots of offers right and you know and but in the online space this is fascinating to me because i don't even know this stuff like no, i know never. i know the new zealand origins yeah i don't quite know the uk stuff and so at this time was like i'm fascinated because 
most entrepreneurs have the story of like, I was born an entrepreneur, I was yeah. unemployable, I kept getting fired from places. That doesn't seem like it's your story. Like I'm sure there were moments of like, this is hard, I would rather be doing my own thing. But like, were apart from the tinkering, was, was freedom, autonomy, sovereignty, was that a big part of the value set at that point? Or did that come over time as you're exposed to more kind of the online space and people actually yeah. talking about it? Yeah. It was only after Max was born, so Max is my son. Mm -hmm. It was only after Max was born that I started to look at the environment we were in and not want to not want to have children in the in the system. Mm. You know, the, the type of things that we call them that we maybe not always <laughs> say out loud. The consequence of what I did became much more real. Yeah. That it wasn't just me and I could float through and mm. it didn't matter if I, you know, maybe did things that were compromising values like working in an industry that's keeps people in debt right. didn't matter right there's mm. no consequence it was like i was making money who cares yeah yeah but after he was born i was lo looking at what we're in in the system yeah in terms of you know the system of society and especially in western society and i was like okay you need to have options yeah you know and the belief that has never gone away is like true freedom is downstream of financial freedom yeah so you can make a lot of impact and all these words the buzzwords but unless you've got choices yeah. you can't really get to true freedom mm. you know and people can throw around what that means to them and it is very personal but it wasn't until Max was born that I really thought I need to cultivate an environment where I'm living in something that gives them choices Yeah, because of that sense that the world's not going to be the same and if it's the same as it is now then I'd rather plot an alternative course right. around it yeah, I, I feel like I didn't even have a work ethic until I got married and especially when I had yeah. my first kid, Brooklyn, like seven years ago. That was when I felt I was like, I found another gear. I was like, oh, okay, like I, I like the stakes are higher, especially because my wife and I, you know, for most of our 20s, we were working for the church. We yeah. were broke, but we were, it was a mutually, we both decided we were going to be broke. And so neither one of us was resentful or bitter it was like we're in the trenches together but then you bring a human into it and i was like man this isn't his choice like i need to i need to like find another gear in myself to kind of take things to the next level yeah. and so when you look where does new zealand enter into the picture was that around that time a little bit after because i know you then stayed in that industry and came to new zealand yeah so i was approached by the guys who cloned groupon in new zealand which is called grab one right and they were like you know this industry and that would we were roughly in Europe and the US because um, it was a US startup but I was in I was in London about two years ahead of the sophistication curve of like what what was going to happen what was the market mm -hmm. expanding into products expanding into travel and those kind of things yeah and so I went back did some stuff with them on travel mm -hmm. and like a sales kind of role when you say you went back you went back to New Zealand went back to New Zealand yeah and that was always in the plan but that freedom thing was under I, I used to listen to a podcast called um, Tropical MBA right and it was by two two dudes, Dan and Ian, who were here in Bali right. at the time over a decade ago. Wow. They were talking about one megabit internet and like pitted roads and stuff like that, which is a bit different to now. Yeah, yeah. But the vibe was the same. Yeah. That was the, that was the beginning of the digital nomad. Digital nomad became a phrase. Yeah. Right? And I was like going on the train into work, listening to these dudes jamming and was like, that was happening all along the way in terms of the, the underlying soundtrack of like, there's something else going on. Yeah. And then went back to New Zealand and went, worked and travel, got, was made marketing manager and made marketing director within a few months. Mm -hmm. And um, again, it's like right in the middle of this environment where you can test human psychology. Right. Which is addictive, right? Yeah. You put these things out there en masse in large numbers and you see how people respond. Yeah. And that, that's super addictive to me. So I've always been in the middle of like that interrelationship and the feedback loop of, in business of like making offers and, and watching those things come back and like, 
how are people responding to this? How are they acting? Yeah. But, and that cut my teeth in terms of to where we are now and what we do now. And, but, and so in that time, was were you approaching things as an artist or an engineer? Like, was there a mix of both? Was it like you feeling like you were creating or is like building the machine and the numbers and the, we sent out an email that got this click through rate. Was it a mix of both? Like how were you naturally wired and kind of what was coming out of that time? At the time it was not artist, it was more teacher. Whereas I've took the responsibility of being a father seriously in terms of being, a, trying to be a model. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember before I went back to New Zealand, I made a commitment to give all my ideas away. Right. So I started accepting stuff that scared the shit out of me, like speaking gigs and those kind of things, mm. which in hindsight was a great move. Yeah. Because when I wanted to leave, consulting and those things were not, not a problem, right? Because I built a profile and built a reputation and a hundred million dollar business. Yeah, and I think around that time, I imagine you probably didn't have the scarcity that kicks in when you then start charging for your information. Because when you start charging for information, you're like, well, if I'm charging for it over here yeah. and I give it away over here, it must devalue yeah. the thing that people are buying. Yeah. But you didn't have that. You just had the I'm in the trenches doing it and I'm just going to share it because that means no less for me yeah. if you know the thing that I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. And it means I don't have the struggle story of when I started consulting as well. Right. Like my first month, I invoiced 40 grand. Yeah, perfect. Because I was mentored by senior people who were like, you go into companies, you tell them what to do, you hope they listen, and they pay your invoices every month. Yeah. So was it so the consulting journey, because that sounds like it, it evolved really naturally. You became really good in your industry. You got headhunted from UK to New Zealand. You rose up the ranks there. And then it, did that consulting naturally go to in-person consultation where you're working with a team in person it's it's more corporate, corporate. c-suite type stuff yeah corporate where i had a reputation as someone who was really comfortable sitting in a boardroom and talking the talk commercially right but also getting down in the trenches right because i'd worked in startups you had to be like that mm. you had to know how to run a facebook ad yeah because there wasn't always someone there to do it but you also knew had to know how to talk about a 10 million dollar budget yeah. Right. So they're two different skill sets at the end of the spectrum. So I was quite useful to when some companies were going into like the scrappy kind of incubator stage. We're going to start up lots of internal tests and start businesses inside where I go along and talk to them in corporate speak, but also startup speak because they knew that I'd be happy to get my hand to, to, to roll my sleeves up and do stuff. And so when you think back to that period, was that a seamless transition? Was that something that came with reservations or fears? Was there any sense of imposter yeah. syndrome? Because I know like working with people in the online space and it's different when you go from, I'm using my Facebook for friends and family and then all of a sudden I'm a business coach and, yeah. and there's that element. But going from being the person who got had a job who was paid to do it to now teaching other people, was there like things you had to overcome? Was there a story you had to unravel? Like what was that kind of process like for you to actually get started? The biggest thing, the biggest thing for me was the discipline of it because the work was so easy that I had to, learn like lots of things to kind of pad it out you know so there was a discipline of it of like is this actually am i doing the right thing am i doing the right am i doing the right job because lots of people wouldn't even listen to the advice that i was giving them yeah right so then you start to have the moral questions around it but i i had the easiest start to consulting ever because i consulted back to the company that i that i was formerly a marketing director of. right so you know it's like str struggle to get your first client we just sign the people you used to work with and yeah. then start adding clients from there. Yeah. But the first major fear moment in terms of like taking a leap was, was stopping that. Yeah. Right. And going, I'm dependent on this single source of income. So if I stop it, then that was my first big fear. And I held on for like four months too long. Five, yeah. And I had a coach at the time and 
I'd sit there every Wednesday and she would, you know, walk me through it. And Something about the weekly coaching sessions that's like a, and a relic of, of old, you know. <laughs> we meet together for an hour, I drive yeah. to you, you drive to me, we yeah. do it on Zoom, whatever. And making the decision you want to make but are too scared to make it. Yeah. And seeking permission in some other way. Yeah. So the big fear was like leaving my first client. But that's when I met a young Sam Ovens. <laughs> young Sam Ovens. I love it. We'll circle back to him in a second because obviously he played a crucial role for both he of us. He did, yeah. But with you in the role that you're in, then being able to consult. Yeah. It sounds like it's a, you know, nice for you, James, but I have to, you know, get clients and I don't have that. But also for you, I imagine there was years, like behind the scenes, you're, you're kind of skimming over the fact that I imagine there was a lot of really deep skill set building throughout that time. Like it wasn't just like right place, right time. Yeah. I could talk the talk. I imagine there was the hours of podcasts, the blogs, the, you know, whatever it might be. Like what, what did that process of actually building the skill set? So like the company that you worked for, they still had to see enough value in what you did to want to pay you the money that you charged. What was that process like to build that skill set? Work. Right. Like I, I, I developed a deep skill set across sales and marketing specifically by doing it. Yeah. Right. In the, in the trenches Which started of doing it. Door to door. Yeah. Started door to door. It had blue chip sales, you know, Vodafone, BMW and Xerox, like sales training, which is Xerox sales training in Europe is considered to be like the best sales training on earth. Right. Like, you know, relationship building and those things from corporate enterprise all the way down to selling phones in a shop. Yeah. You know, at Vodafone when I worked in, there in, in New Zealand when I was a student. And it's getting the skills on the, and, but also, and I think I'm more ruthless about these days, it's like focusing on what you're good at. Mm. Because there's so much idealism around skill acquisition because everything's a skill. Yeah. And it's, and it's really like, okay, double down on what you're good at and largely ignore the bits that you, that you aren't. Mm. And that's a tough lesson to learn. Like I was a terrible people manager. Right. And I inherited these teams and I didn't know what, <laughs> didn't know how to manage We're going to run ads, guys. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. But I'd lean in on the commercials, on the marketing, mm -hmm. on, you know, the detail of those things. Yeah. And go back to them. And the results will always take you through. You don't have to be the easiest person to work with. Yeah. You don't even have to be liked. But if you're effective, you can go a really long way. Right. So I think I always focused on things I was effective at and avoided out of probably internal fear all the things I was... I was, I, I was proving to be bad at. Yeah. Which I think is also underrated. Like I think too many people try to generalize too fast. Yeah. I've shamed myself horribly for that yeah. over the years of like, no, I should build a team. Yeah. Of I course. should be a good manager. I should be this. I should be that. And it, it doesn't matter how hard you wish for it. If, it, if there's no true, true, genuine desire there. Yeah. It's very difficult to acquire skills when you don't have desire behind them. Yeah. It's very difficult to, uh, I really want to be good at this and I need to be good at this when there's no actual want like deep inside you to, to yeah. want to do it. When, well, I think we'll come back to this, but like this idea that business needs to be hard is a really prevalent one. Cause I think business is already hard because we have to grow and gain skills and stick at things and develop character traits that allow us to focus on one thing for a really long time. But then people also make it unnecessarily hard. They go, well, I'm not good at this, so I must get better at it because, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to have a weak link in the chain. I don't want to have a hole in the bucket. But like, man, I, I mean, we have friends who have great businesses and suck at like huge parts of it, right? And they either hire around we themselves. Have, we have multimillionaire friends who can barely tie their shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's a reality. Yeah. And I'm useless at some, you know, some very normal Oh, we talk about this with life admin, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I would way rather be hit with a $100,000 tax bill and have to figure that out over the next month than organize a 
youth camp. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the scale of, of the problem is significantly different, but the complexity or even just like if you peel it back, if I had to like buy our groceries every week and things like that, it sounds so such a luxury, but like th- those things stress me out, like those everyday things. But but so many entrepreneurs think they need to master it all. Like I need to have yeah. all of the things sorted. I need to be good at marketing, sales, I need to be the best dad, the best husband. And then that means I need to tick all of the stereotypical things. I need to be amazing at sitting yeah. down and playing with my kids with Lego for hours at a time. I need to have the lawns mowed, the hedge trimmed, the whatever else. Yeah. But you bring that to business, it's the same deal. My, my take is that it's a product of weaponizing shame. Right. And it starts at a young age because we need, the system needs people to be in a, a certain way and compliant yeah. with doing those things and productive. And we've weaponized shame and now we've amplified it with this thing called the internet to say, if you don't want things, these things, you're not normal and there's something wrong with you. Mm. If you don't want to be like this, if you don't want to spend your days like that, if you don't believe these things, then there's something morally wrong with you and we're going to shame you. Yeah. And it's weaponized everywhere. Yeah. And it's weaponized by people's, often by the people that are closest to the, the recipient of that shame. Right. Because they're like, you should want this. Mm. Like I was asked by people who came to visit a couple of weeks ago, as we're sitting in our house with our staff, everybody here has local staff. We have a family. It's true guys, come to Bali. <laughs> and they were like, how do you feel about these people serving you? And I was like, amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Because this family have a house here. Mm. They've got vehicles. They've got, they send their kids to school. Their their son's getting a higher education because they work for me and they love my kids just like they're their own. Mm. It feels great. But that's just one example of things that be like, well, you shouldn't have people serve you Mm. yet. As an entrepreneur, your time, like time is the only scarce thing on earth. Mm. Unless you yield it properly with the skill set that you were either innately given and amplified, you are going to fail to create the most value you possibly can. Mm. So you should be ashamed of doing the things you're bad at and doing the things that you shouldn't actually be doing because it's going to cost you and it's going to cost the people who depend on you. Yeah. And this, this is, uh, we'll get to it in a second, but let's talk about Sam Ovens. Because he, he went through that period, which is kind of what my mind is going to now. But most people listening will know who the heck Sam was. Yeah. But before there was the Sam of the internet, there was the Sam of New Zealand. And they were not the same person. I met the Sam of New Zealand, right? Yeah, so talk us through who that person was. Uh, by the way, if anyone wants to go down a fun rabbit hole, search Sam Ovens stuff.co.nz there's like a picture of his penthouse apartment uh i think it's like 2014 um he's right in the uh, auckland viaduct in the harbor he's got a zebra a rug a motorcycle a pistol like all, all of these like antiques and things like that around his house and he's just the cool dude of auckland but yeah. like who was this guy that you met at that time so i was i was kind of in that transition so i was still consulting for the main the main guys and i was still kind of acting marketing director but i wasn't actually employed by them. So I was right on the cusp of it. And I was like, I'm going out consulting, da, 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 da. And I reached out to him because he'd been on Mixergy. Oh, yeah. With Snap Inspect. And, um, his software company. His software company at the time. And I met this extremely confident, snot-nosed kid. Really, that's what I thought when I walked away because he's mm. like, he's 10 years, 12 years younger than me. Yeah. And I was like, big swinging dick. You know, <laughs> I'm a, I work for the fastest growing country and company in the country. Like, yeah. you know, you've got it all worked out. But, but I was like kind of enthralled by his confidence and his, and his vision about, I just do consulting to generate cash flow to build the software company. And at the time, the software company was the main thing. And then... And the software company, for anyone who doesn't know, was 
an app for property managers. Property inspection. Property yeah. inspection. Yeah. It was really good. Mm. Like I'm not a property manager, but it, you could take fixtures and it solved a real pain problem. Yeah. It still exists. And um, he's like, yeah, since the interview, lots of people reached out, talk about, you know, because he, he kind of alluded to this doing consulting to generate cash flow for other things or because that was his kind of angle at the time and that's what he was doing. And he said, I'm starting a thing. Mm. And at the time it was like a Dropbox folder full of stuff and he was just putting it online and Kajabi. Right. And um, I signed up like months later when it was actually a proper product. I and think what, he had what about was the 20 price people. Point? Well, do you remember all that? Those six details? grand. Six grand. Yeah. And this is 2014? So he did, he did me a solid though. He did it in New Zealand dollars. Oh, my man. He did uh, At the time that was like very welcome. Yeah, yeah. Because I think six grand us at the time was like 10 grand kiwi or something like that yeah <laughs> and he's like dude don't tell anyone but i'll do it in kiwi dollars I'm like, thanks bro yeah and this is 2014 2015 <laughs> no it was later than that right no about 2015 yeah yeah it would be about, about 20 2014 2015 yeah so he's yeah. based in new zealand consulting is is a side hustle yeah. and you kind of get into this dropbox yeah. community of like there's some trainings there's no consulting accelerator that many people would have experienced later yeah and what was that experience like because because at this point i imagine you're still consulting in person i was still consulting in person and we moved to waiheke island right. off auckland and so i was starting commuting and i was like i've got a job again i've got a flipping job again right and because it was like single source of income have to get up have to go to a place have to stay there have to come you back you could hop on a boat to, to get to Auckland. Boat. Yeah, yeah, like if anyone doesn't know, Waiheke Island is not connected via a, a bridge. It's like a 45 minute? Yeah, 35. Yeah, yeah 35 minute, minute ferry. Yeah. And it's a beautiful lifestyle on there. But then That's to have great. to go to the CBD or wherever you're going so, every day. It was, it was yeah, it, it, it drained me real quick. Yeah. And after, you know, having all those ideas sitting in my head and then that kind of sub track playing in the background through podcasts and things of freedom and location independence and digital nomadism. I needed to do my own thing. Mm. And so through Sam's course, I launched my first product, e-commerce engine. And then we did a million and it was about 13 months. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Talk about timing as well, like unfair advantages, like back in the day when you could get leads for a dollar on Facebook and like calls for 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah. But literally just, you know, got on the phone. First price point was 2,500. Yeah. Then put it up to six grand later. So walk me through that process. So you've got all this expertise you've built in person. He tells you how to package it into a course or are you coaching one-to-one? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, like the classic, you know, course with calls model that I call it now. Like, yep. I had a, a Google Drive folder with six modules in it and like an introduction. Yeah. Uh, a free Facebook group. No, sorry, a, a Facebook group, which is obviously free, but paid for, for clients. Yeah. And then a, um, and a weekly call with, um, what was it called? On GoToWebinar. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's yeah. Like 400 bucks a month at the time, man. Yeah, that's Zoom. crazy. Eh? We don't know how good <laughs> and, we're um, now. It was great. Yeah. And e-commerce then was really fragmented. So it was like pre-Shopify. So it was really like people had all these different, it wasn't pre-Shopify, but it was like early. It wasn't a big thing like it is now like the de facto solution for e-com. Yeah. So all these people had all these like different platforms and the tech stuff was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. So to give them like email templates and card abandon sequences and conversion mm-hmm. and Facebook ad templates, it was a brand new thing at the time to that, to that market. It was like, what you give me stuff that works out of the box right. and I just go and copy and paste it and you help me modify it and I use it and it makes money. Yeah. Cool. And so that was the most natural people for you to work with, I guess, having yeah. got come from uh, grab one and Groupon yeah. was you're now just in that e-commerce space. You're not a coach helping coaches get clients. Yeah. It's literally like you have an e-commerce store. Yeah. It's well, I'd it's seen, I'd seen $3 like, billion dollars of e-commerce transactions flow past my eyeballs. Yeah. So I was like, I know how to make people buy stuff online. Yeah. So what was that learning curve like going online? 
The biggest learning curve was just the deployment of it because I thought I had to know all the tech and all those things, you know, the ClickFunnels templates and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's all the stuff that, that tripped me up. Sorry, guys, quick technical difficulty. Uh, I had a camera that overheated. We are back in the game. So we're talking about you coaching online yeah. e-commerce and talking about the learning curve. And so the biggest challenge at, for you at that time was the deployment, like the actually getting the stuff done, Yeah. going through all the steps. Yeah, well, it's the, the stuff that you think you need that you don't really. Yeah. And like the, the first iteration of that course was like, I've got to get this done, screw it. So that's why I used like Google Drive right. and a Facebook group. And you know, the, because I was sick of pissing around and procrastinating on myself for going, oh, I need to host it in an online thing. Yeah. And it's the same thing you see now with, I need all this stuff to be, to make it look a certain way. Yeah. So I was much more worried about what people thought about it than. Was that something that you were getting from Sam as well at the time, meaning like, you bought into a program that was also in Dropbox? Because I'm sure at that time there were some people out there. It just changed it. So I didn't, I wasn't, I was on the cusp of like, there was still stuff stored there. Yeah. And I think the first iteration was just a tree of files. And then there was, you know, the Kajabi stuff and videos. And again, it was like building it as we were going through it. Yeah. You know, the first version up level. Well, I think one of the the best, I don't know if he said this out loud or if this was just something I took from uh, Consulting Accelerator, but when I started in 2018, I had skills that I could transfer to marketing, but I had no marketing experience per se. I had no ads experience, no funnels. And so I was really good at sales. So I was like getting people to say yes and then going, all right, now I need to figure out how to do this. And I'll never forget just the belief I got from going through his program was like, I need to believe my ability to figure it out. So I'll never forget hiring a, a, getting a client and I was doing something around his content and then he hired me to do his Facebook ads. Yeah. And my confidence came from the fact that Sam had all the modules on Facebook ads in there, even though I hadn't gone through them and never on a Facebook ad. So I run this client's card and he's like, yeah, man, really need these ads to work. And I'm like, they're going to be amazing, right? And then I go through all of Sam's stuff and then uh, overnight, and then at 5 a.m. I launch the client's ads. And then the next morning I wake up however many hours later and he's got all of these webinar registrations and it's crushing. But for me, it was like that delusion that even though I didn't have the expertise, I could borrow it from someone else. And also I just, I needed to believe my ability to figure it out. And I think that's a belief that served me so much. I don't know if there was anything around that time that that kind of carried you through belief-wise. Can you remember what your self-talk was in that time? Because you were going from in-person to online, you were running ads, people were now probably talking crap on your ads and you were now an expert selling a product. Like what was that self-talk like? It was a complete paradox because I was the big deal. I was a marketing director of like the fastest growing company in the country. So it was a paradox of like this small fry internet, little tiny stuff was like, who cares? Right. What's the big deal? But the ego was the thing that was preventing me from doing the stuff I needed to do because it didn't look right. Right. So both of those opposing forces got me stuck, right? In terms of not launching it fast enough, not hitting the ground running. Cause when I did, it was like, it was off mm. straight away. So there was a paradox of like, I'm really good. Look at this, this stuff's little, it's so easy. I could phone it in, Yeah. but also I needed it to look a certain way because I was worried you what got people a brand would to worry think. About. You got a reputation you've got. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So it was like, 
the worst paradox you can get because the two opposing forces, if they're equal, you're just stuck in place. Yeah. And I was for months. Stuck in place doing what? Like, were you, were you doing the equivalent of like, I'm building a website for myself. I'm I was doing, doing the equivalent cards, of like, I'm going to move these boxes around on this landing page right. and make, and like do the slides for that VSL video again. Yeah. Yeah. And by Friday it will be done. Oh no, I should change that word. Right. You know, perfectionist procrastination. Yeah. Because I was worried about what people would think about it. Which I think is human nature. Like, like I think there'd be a lot of people uh, listening who laugh at something like that and go, oh, I remember those days or that's so funny. But most of my coaching calls are dealing with people, even at multiple seven figures, who are just overthinking stuff. They're, they're, in, they're in a kind of that uh, loop of productive procrastination. Yeah. I'm not, not, like this is one of the things I've learned about entrepreneurs. Normal people, when they're overwhelmed or unclear, right, normies, right, <laughs> they, they uh, don't do anything, right? So that's why when you talk to normal people, uh, the everyday person around procrastination, it's such a huge topic because they're struggling with inaction. Most entrepreneurs struggle with too much action. They're actually taking so much action in so many different directions that it's the thing causing them to not move forward yeah. because they're productively procrastinating. Right. So instead of me creating the module, I'm going to listen to 10 podcasts and five of the best YouTube videos on it and read three books on yeah. it so that I create the perfect uh, podcast or the perfect module or the whatever it might be. Yeah. And that version of what you went through of I'm trying to get the landing page perfect is the same thing that everyone goes through. It just looks different. It looks more mature that it's the same behavior and that same, whether it's scarcity or insecurity uh, or inadequacy driving people for like, I'm just waiting for it to be perfect. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. it's a perfectionism that people wrestle yeah, with. Fully. I think also that there's also a as you grow up there's a there's a creation of optionality. Get this thing so you can get that thing. You know, get the get the qualification so you can get the job. Mm. So if you create options for yourself, if you create more options yourself it's, for yourself it's better. The reality is very different. The more options just lead you to more you know, more noise in mm. the system to say, well, what's the actual signal? And because it's the hardest question to answer, what do I want? Right? So that you get more options to get things that other people want that you think you should want so then you just get stuck because you're dealing with your own internal procrastination mm. but you're also looking at the wants of others and going maybe I should want that maybe what I want isn't good enough yeah I, I totally agree and I think that's um, that whole idea of people are suffering from the the silent disease of, of confusion or lack of clarity is so true yeah right most people just do not know what they want or if, or if they know what they want they don't know why they want it Oh, you want to get to 50K yeah. a month? Why? Sounds great. Yeah. 100K a month. I would yeah. love to shake Russell Brunson's hand, but they don't have a vision that's fueled by a, a motivation that will actually push them through. And so they're just stuck in cycles of like, I think the pod at the end of the rainbow is going to be awesome and it's going to be at 50K a month and then you get there and it's not there. Yeah. People don't typically have a clear vision with a clear motivation that's actually going to push them through the different seasons. Yeah, I, I, also, I also see that there's also the other C, there's a lack of consequence. Right, yeah, yeah. There's, we, we love clarity, but we also act on consequence. And, you know, an example would be in our friends group at the moment, lots of parents in their 40s. And a couple of people have died of heart attacks. Right. Right? In their 40s. You know, too early, too young. And it is prompted lots of people to look at their genetic line get tested heart health diet all those things but until then everyone was carrying on eating the fried food and doing the doing all the things because there was like there's no obvious consequence to mm. the behavior 
people go, oh, you want to live a long time for your kids. And, you know, they, they sound nice in a, theori- in a theoretical way. But when it comes to it, fried chips taste nice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and beer is good sometimes, right. you know. But I think it's also consequence. There's very, in comfort, there's very little consequence. Yeah. There's very little consequence to not doing the thing. Yeah. And this is why I see so many entrepreneurs driven by the darkness. Yeah. Driven by that dark thing of like, I've got to prove my dad wrong. Yeah, I was bullied that, when I was young. That teacher, was you know, who said that I was never going to amount to anything. And, you know, when I was 14, I mean, the, the seeds of that are there. Yeah. And the consequence of not doing it is more internal pain. Yeah. And the, the benefit of doing it is a re- some misaligned view that, that that will provide relief from that pain. Yeah. And so I think consequence motivates most action and you don't need to be clear about something to do it yeah because clarity is a fiction how when covid everyone was like wow well this is really you know we didn't see this coming and it's like we never see the future coming yeah it's a ludicrous analogy because it's like we didn't see the future coming before covid and we don't see the future coming during it and after yeah you know in these ideas you can't even say COVID. You've got to get it out. Oh, um, the, the jibby jab. The, <laughs> the, the, the thing. The thing that happened in yeah. 2020. But, you know, there, there was, there's this idea that clarity needs to be present before we take action. There's, yeah, there, there's an idea that belief needs to be present to take action. Mm. And I was sharing with clients recently of like, I need so little evidence now to believe in something. Like, you know, we call it instinct and we call these like accumulated wisdom and all this stuff. But I see something working once and I'm like, I'm going to do a lot more of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think as you go along, you, you, you don't need as much belief because you, you can pattern match some things and go, well, this is like this, so I'm going to do more of it. Right. And you don't need belief and clarity to do it, but you need some consequence to make you move. Otherwise, you ain't doing it. Isn't that fascinating thing about like the amount of convincing you need to start a business versus hmm. the amount of convincing you need to launch a new offer? Right, like people can convince themselves in a heartbeat to go, I need to launch a new tripwire, a new funnel, whatever. But to get over that hump of belief around, uh, I have something to to give of value, mm. uh, is this huge insurmountable thing. Do you feel like that's a skill set? Is is that a belief in and of itself? Like, what is that that actually enables you and us, uh, the further we get along, to take? faster action to, to stop living yeah. in the place of overthinking yeah. and inaction. Like what, what is that? I think, I think it's giving gratitude to the, the changes you've made and not judging them. I think something I do with clients quite a bit who have that belief that their stuff isn't good enough or they're going to not put an offer out there is go back and let them mine the past. Mm-hmm. Really look at the work they've done and the magic that you've created through an accumulated lived life. You know, you don't even need to be that old to have done stuff. You know, most of the people I work with tend to be older with kids and those kind of things. This is more accumulated experience. But I think if you go back and mind what you've done and then you link the human story to the impact of that. You know, I, I had a, a client a while ago who was, you know, it was property finding. He's like, I just find people houses. Yeah, but mm-hmm. who lives in those houses? What families are made? What decisions are made? And those things. It's like, it's not in, and if you link the outcomes of what you've done in the past to the human impact of things, it makes it much more real than just a transaction or money because those things are fictional. They're made up. Mm. We made all the stuff up just to ease the wheels Money's of commerce. Money's made up. <laughs> yeah, well, it literally is, right? Yeah, yeah. But, we, but if we link the benefits at, to the impact that we've had on other people, we can actually start to display empathy and have emotion to say, well, 
no, I actually did something that was worth it. I did something that was valuable. Right. Because everyone's got a legacy. And if we actually learn to appreciate the legacy, we can turn a lot of those things into motivation to do things now. To right. say, well, no, if this only helps one person, it's good enough. Mm. You know, I, I, I write like that. Yeah. I, I speak to one person. People go, oh, you're a good writer. And it's like, because I'm writing to one person right. at a time. And if it, if it helps one person, great. If it helps a hundred, even better. And that's what, one of the things I think that's really fascinating is the further I get along in this journey, the simpler everything feels in my brain. Yeah. Like when you are running a Facebook ad, you feel like you were trying to, I mean, you, I, I didn't understand the mechanics of what I was trying to do. I was like, there is an algorithm and there is an ad and there are all of these masses of people that I'm trying to like get on their screen and get them to click rather than going like, I'm trying to target John who's probably sitting on the loo. He's a human. Right. Yeah. <laughs> who has this distinct like current situation, this desired situation. I'm just trying to motivate him to click. I don't think I was thinking ever that personal. It felt so complex. And then now over time, it's like, this is easy. This is simple. Like marketing is so simple, right? Yeah. But, but it, it's something that you have to work through, right? You said earlier, uh, simplicity comes through complexity. Yeah. Right, like oftentimes it we have to go through the complex and the hard to get to the simple and the easy. Yeah. So when you launched, right, circling back, you mm. were coaching on e-commerce. You're working with Slick Sam Ovens. You're going through his course. You said you did a million in 13 months. You mm. obviously didn't stay in that niche or that business model, without going through the linear journey of every kind of six months, how to change and what it looked like. You've evolved tons. Like there has been so many different twists and turns. You've you've had the good and the bad, like I have. Like I'll never forget being in Manly and the business that you had then was so radically different and so not a fit for you at that time yeah. compared to the business that, you know, why Hickey James was crushing and cranking yeah. 18 months earlier. And so yeah. when you think about uh, going from e-commerce to the next market, to the next offer, obviously there are metrics like I don't so much want to focus on the, you know, an offer gets tired, a funnel gets tired. Yeah. And so we launch something new. But what does that journey look like and felt like for you in it? Like, was it a reflection of your personal growth? Was it that you were growing as a human being and all of a sudden the old business model didn't feel mm. like it fit? Like, what did that, what did the evolution of the business models in the kind of last six to eight years look and feel like for you? Autistic. <laughs> no, like seriously, I say it with, you know, a smile on my face, but I'm a highly sensitive person. And so my journey was essentially mimicking the things I was paying attention to or the mentors or the people, pe persons of esteem or authority that I was looking at at the time. Yeah. And then I was just becoming derivatives of them. Right. But I'm a successful mimic, which is, again, a challenging place because I was really good at mimicking because I could make it effective by just tweaking it enough to make it my own. And then the feedback loop will be successful. You can make a million dollars a year. Great. But I topped out at two because I couldn't mimic my way through the next curve because I didn't want to, because I was mimicking someone else's life and business model and even probably personality sometimes that wasn't actually mine. Right. So I capped out because I, I, I was playing a role that I needed to play and then the internet in terms of the, the thing that I thought people saw of me of a brand then trapped me in it. Well, I have to keep pretending like I really want to do this because I've got people paying me money to play this character on the internet. Right. So hindsight, it was just mimicry, mm. just really successful mimicry. And there's a huge benefit to modeling, mm. but mimicry will always run you into the wall. 
because mimicry gets you so close to the person's personality beliefs and those things that it's always going to challenge what you actually believe and who you really are it's actually such a subtle but important difference the idea of modeling versus mimicking yeah like i was talking to dylan who runs all of our content and i was like dude the things that we're trying to do right now have already been done like we don't have to get innovative and creative and go like we're pioneering something it's like dude let's look at gary v let's look at the people that have yeah. been way ahead of where we are and let's at least start modeling what they're doing what i'm not saying is let's take their top 10 thumbnails and go these are ours now right i'm just going how do they shoot what angles uh what does it look like how what is that documenting versus creating process look yeah. like but mimicking is interesting because i i would say like i um i had have had <laughs> uh, both past and present massive like dad issues right yeah so i think a lot of like coaching for me was finding guys yeah. that held some mentorship place right. in my life that i could then like hook my horse to their carriage and go like, I'm going to follow this person. I'm going to become more like this person. And um, that served me really well in some instances, you know, where I'm like, I don't think I ever got the blue blazer in the, in the New York apartment, you know, like Sam. But, but there was that sense of like, I would listen to how Sam thought or talked and I would go, oh, I'm too expressive. I need to be more thoughtful. I need to be more structured. He was, he was churning out 13 hour days and then planning tomorrow, today and doing all these different things. And I would try them and it would be like wearing someone else's clothes. Like, you know, yeah. um, and, and yet there's so much value in modeling. And so how do you think about it now? Like having gone through the, the good, the bad and the ugly, because you and I still work like uh, with coaches and we learn from people. I think these days I need to pay people less to get clean mm. from them. There are people I've never paid that I listen to their staff or, you know, there's a guy called Zane Lowe, love his interviews, he's mm. in the music space, he's mentoring me in a way from afar. But how do you think about that idea of modeling and mentorship now as opposed to the mimicking you were doing? Like how, what's a healthy version of that look like for you now? This comes back to the reality of my life and the consequences piece, which is like, I'm a full-time dad and I don't have any time. So I have to have constraints. I have to design from constraints. And when you're, when you're mimicking, you design from desire or want to be like that person or have the things that you perceive them to have. I can no longer do that because I have to have constraints of it. So I have to design from a place of, I need to design my model based on the reality of what I see around me, which is my kids and, and the other things that are immediately important. So it's been a forced change that I have to do those things because time is scarce energy is scarce so i have to choose a model which works for me and there is no compromise on that because there's too many consequences of compromising and i think when you mimic there's much less social there's there's more social because people always found, find you out right yeah they always go you're just like so-and-so you're just like well the market the market doesn't reward you after a time because you're like are you like them or are you like this so yeah, you yeah. just you know it's it's not good business sense because you end up being like everybody else and competition kills the profits. So I think about models now much more from a way of, I have to do this in this way to preserve these things because the consequence, consequence of me not doing it are too dire. And I think one of the things I've learned is if you take advice, the what, or the how from someone with a different why, you can end up building a business that becomes more like a prison and less and less like the- How often do we see that? Oh, dude, they, this is what's fascinating is that like most of the most popular entrepreneurial figures in our space who give the best, the seemingly best business advice have completely different goals from the 99% watching them. 
So when you're watching someone who is trying to like literally get into the upper echelon of any human financially in all of history, and you're trying to make 10,000 a month, they might have great advice, but it's coming from a different place. And some of that advice is not for you because you have different goals. Yeah. If you want to be a millionaire versus a billionaire, I don't think people understand the the complete different stratosphere that lives in. I think yeah. the stat is like, well, not the stat, but the number is like uh, a million seconds is 11 days ago. A yeah. billion seconds is 32 years ago, mm. right? So when people are taking advice from someone who's trying to have a thousand million dollars, it's such a different uh, why it's such a different drive when we mimic someone like that we might experience some level of progress and and even your business might grow but then you have a business that you want to run away from more than you're excited to run because it doesn't align with your values and I think one of the things that's been really helpful for me and I feel like I've been picking mentors and, and models so much better at, uh, in this kind of last season is because I've been connecting with people's whys much more yeah yeah. So does this person share my values? Do they share uh, my outlook on life? Do they share my worldview? I'm not looking for 100% agreement. I'm looking for alignment, Yeah. right? I'm looking for a sense of if you give me advice, I know it's coming from a place that you understand I'm a parent yeah. or you understand I'm married or you understand yeah. I want to stay married or yeah. all of those things. And so how have you gone about picking people to learn from? Because I think that's a challenge whether you've got a credit card in hand and you're going to sign up to a program or whether you are choosing to dedicate an hour of your, your day kind of listening to people. How do you think about like the, who do I learn from? Who do I give time to? Who do I model from? It's, it's, it's all about the relative constraints again. Like there are, I, I know lots of really smart, mainly young dudes, right? You're one of them and I know lots of them. You're a little bit different to the you know, 25 year old Twitter bros who are really smart, Yeah, really smart. And they're doing the right things and the fundamentals are there, but their life is different to mine. It's different to yours, mm. right? So it's like, do these people actually understand the maps fine, but the terrain is very different. Right. So do people actually understand the terrain you're sitting on in your, in your real life? Because everything works. Every business model that you and I come into contact with can be made to work. You know, in some cases, they shouldn't, you shouldn't want them to work, but everything works. But the, ter- the, the, the map and the terrain are different things. Mm. So for me, it's like, where is this person coming from? And it, is, it does come back to those core principles now and principles, values, mm. you know, and, and increasingly these days track record because the internet has distorted so much of what we see as true and false. Mm. It's like, okay, and we've linked also to financial success and performance with some level of higher morality. Right. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to listen to them because they're rich. Right. It's like that's very binary and a way to do it. So I think, I think to answer the, the question, it's about nuance of saying, what's the circumstance of those people? Mm. Where's it coming from? You know, what's the overall goal and vision of that? And how do you, how do, you do that? How do you do that in a way that's applicable to me? Mm. And, and then living that. You know, I ran a workshop the other day and it was, I started with all the principles. I started with like how I think about things and where I come from. And some very complicated things. It wasn't like hyper tactical. And I'm unapologetic about that. They're like, I want to teach you the principles so you don't need me. Right. I don't want trauma bonds and codependency with clients. Right? <laughs> you <laughs> mean got, you don't want to be like, I got enough of my own. <laughs> no, <I've got> <laughs> I don't need any more of them. Yeah. So, so I come from a place of like, I, I don't want you to need me. Mm. And that... I think in terms of like paying attention to people who are doing it that way and then paying attention to how I'm doing it 
And if those things sync up, then I'm generally on the right track. You know what? And I think it's the reason why we haven't recorded these conversations. Mm. I think the primary reason is we know that it would slightly distort and dilute some of the things we say and some of the angles we have. Yeah. Because there's a performative element in all human nature. Yeah, I'm even and, trying and to str- we, I'm struggling to get comfortable in this chair. I'm like, I'm normally we, facing you directly. We tumble ideas around and we, we know each other's lives like very, very well yeah. in terms of the bigger picture. Mm. You know, I... You weren't even here when I arrived. I'm sitting in there chatting to Liv and the, and the boys and those things. And checking out the chickens. Yeah, those relationships are, you know, they're, they're priceless and valuable to me because it's yeah. like, I know you. Yeah. I know the, I know the business, Dan. You know, I, I like your posts on Facebook and watch your videos sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> on double speed. Yeah, there we go. But, you know, the, who's the person? Yeah. What are they doing? What's their values? Where, you know, what do they believe? And the, you, we're going to change along the way because stuff happens that you never you never see coming. Well, I think this is the interesting piece around this, the space that we play in, right? Online coaching, consulting, marketing, this creator economy, whatever we want to call it. We've seen it drastically evolve, right? You could have a funnel and that was it. Like maybe you would have a few posts on your Facebook page. So if someone clicked on your ad, you didn't look like a ghost, but literally we were taught a model that worked really well, which was you run an ad to a stranger, they click on a landing page, the landing page has a big promise. You, you enter your details, you come through the video, there's a rags to riches story, there's a problem, there's a solution, there's an invite to a call, one in 20 people book the call, and then one in five people close, Yeah. right? And that can still work to a degree, but one of the things that I'm seeing is the era of the personal brand is, is upon us. It is, where, yeah. Where, where content is now a filtering mechanism to go, is this my person? Because in 2016, if you were a consultant struggling to get clients, you were desperate for solutions and there were very few around, right? Sam Ovens pops up in your feed and he goes, how to get 42 clients in 69 days or whatever it might be. I can't remember his hook. Um, and it was like, it was new. It was fresh. I didn't, they, they, how are we going to get clients automated? Now there are so many people who say the exact same things as us. And we think if we just outspend them in ads, if we just out funnel them, out follow up, then we're going to win. But the reality is, is that people are looking for depth with us, I think now, because they realize it's, it wasn't business to business, business to consumer, it's human to human. And now that there is ample competition and there's red ocean, right? It's about now, you know, like that, uh, that saying I heard Kevin Kelly say recently, it's like, don't be the best, be the only. The model a few years ago was just be the best, right? It was just like, how do you make the biggest claim? How do you run the best ads? And now it's like, how do you create a connection that no one else can replicate because it's you connecting with someone else? Yeah. And I was talking to a client yesterday and um, he, he uh, said something really kind. He said like, the best decision I've made in the last year of my business was hiring you, but I hired you different to every other coach I've ever worked with. Mm. Every other coach I worked with was I had a problem and they had a solution. I asked myself before I hired you, do I want to become more like Dan? And because I answered yes, I'm, I've worked with you and it's been amazing because you're actually taking more of me more in the direction of the person I want to become, yeah. not just the, you know, I'm a square peg and that's a square hole. And like, and so I think that's a really fascinating like nuance to this whole conversation because I think there are a lot of uh, creators and consultants and coaches stuck in the old model that if I can just outmarket, if I can do a launch or a five-day challenge without creating real deep intimacy with the audience, um, they get stuck. They can't outspend the fact that the people just don't trust them the way yeah. they used to. What, what do you think people should be thinking about, whether it's doing a podcast, whether it's writing posts on Facebook? How do you think about cultivating that sense of a personal brand now as opposed to 
you know, you, you're one funnel away. Yeah, I, I think something that I've got clients do recently doing is, inten- is writing intention documents for themselves to, to a, a, a piece of self-discovery that gets down to what they really want and what is enough and not being shamed around that. You know, in an industry where everything's like seven figures this and seven figures that, people coming back with, you know, six-figure goals, that they internally shame themselves for that, despite that being like profoundly impactful on them and, and have constraints around it, right? Yeah. Um, and then in many cases, they've shared those intention documents with their audience. People want to know who you're becoming, right? They want to know where you're going because the true North only now is the person behind it. And we've understood that this filter of the internet is just as is, is, can apply a filter that people can say and, and do anything at the time. Mm. But unless, unless you're very clear about who you're becoming and who you're following, then that same mimic and sensitivity that, you know, that I fell victim to in a successful financial way is gonna come to fruition because they, they've, followed, they've already got experience following people that they didn't wanna become doing things that they didn't wanna do. And they were attracted by the glitz. And now they wanna know, who are you? Where do you think you're going? And I'm okay with you reserving the right to change your mind as long as these basic principles and these the, these values are are still consistent. Yeah. Because that's all people want. They just want consistency with those things. Yeah. They don't want the rug pulled from under them. To say, oh, actually, it was all a scam and it was all, you know, morally ambiguous and they don't really have those values. That's why we, that's why we look at when people get caught doing things that are underhanded who have a a high moral standing in society. We have that look. Yeah. You know because. Where if you undermine certain values, then you know you can never be trusted again. And it's funny because again, it comes back to that idea of we give people credibility where they haven't earned it based on status. Yeah, this is funny in crypto, right? It's like people were surprised <laughs> that crypto rug pulls happen. Yeah, and it's like you trusted this person because they had a hundred thousand followers on Twitter and had been tweeting for six months about this amazing project they're going to have, or maybe they had a personal brand. Uh, as a successful trader, they launch something and then all of a sudden they, they rug, you lose money, they make money and you're like, wait a minute, I yeah. thought you were supposed to be this person. But they'd not necessarily ever shown themselves yeah. to be a person who was uh, had integrity in this area. It was just that they, they were successful and we made that synonymous with trustworthy. Yeah. Whereas like if you've been, uh, like I was asked yesterday, how, how many posts have you put on Facebook do you think? <laughs> it's like, Man, I mean, maybe it averages out at one a day for five years, not including stories, not including any other platform. Like it's, it's you know, a thousand plus. And I consistently have people who come into my world and in short term, in short times, uh, become clients. But the more common theme I see is, I've been following you for years. So mm. I remember when you finished being a youth pastor or mm. like the compounding effect of the audience and the way that people trust you over time is just so invaluable. And I think like it's an interesting thing to observe because some coaches and consultants are kind of caught with their pants down going, but I thought I could just run a five day challenge. I didn't want to mm. really share my life mm. online. And, and I think it's, um, it's an interesting place because uh, I'm really enjoying the journey, but many people aren't. Many people are going like, I just want to run the ads and have the webinar funnel. And I didn't sign up to be anyone's guru. And it's like, well, you're a coach. You kind of did. Yeah. Like if you're asking for thousands of dollars from someone, like, they need to know they can trust you. You can't just give them to a closer and a really awesome 45 minute sales pitch gets them in. They kind of want to know who they're doing business with. Yeah. If there's so many different choices, why should they choose you? Yeah. Why should they work with you? And that's why uh, vlogging and, and podcasts and, and you know just content in general, I think is so powerful when it comes to building audience because it 
it's easy to pretend for a video it it's is. really hard to keep the act up over weeks and months and years and dozens and dozens of pieces of yeah. content yeah there there is there is a barrier even to the way that you've used the word audience there and i'll pick up, pick up on this there is a barrier to people getting started with the belief that audience equals mass right right that audience equals a large amount of attention if you take if you go back on my journey my first client i had an audience of one they became a client yeah because of what factor trust right so in the internet world where we're looking at um vanity metrics like views and likes and things that are on mass we over index on the size of attention we think we need and we under index on trust and that's that's what's happening in the rebalancing now towards the kind of creator economy and the personal brand and these things because we're trying to rebalance trust that you can grow a really big business and impactful one off a tiny tiny audience if you have the highest levels of trust in that audience mm. so something that stops people is this idea that you need a big audience right because you only need an audience of one person in a relevant way who trusts you to actually do anything yeah but and the more they trust you the more intimacy that's already been achieved so the more implicitly you understand how you're useful to them mm. on on the journey you go on so i think the idea of audience stops a lot of people just as much as it kind of helps people you know because but we we go to audience and we look at the mass market yeah yeah everybody is in the kind of media business now to some extent mm -hmm. everybody's streaming this and you know reeling that and TikToking this i'll make myself like an old man yeah. um because we've got an audience of something and it always makes me laugh how much traction people can get with tiny little audiences who trust them yeah what's that belief that i don't have an audience or a list and you're like do you know humans like go through that's your, an audience yeah go it's through literally your phone an contacts yeah literally boom 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 like and and if if they aren't the right person they probably know the right person right it's all concentric circles yeah it's all concentric circles out but we look at it as one big giant one as an audience mm -hmm. and that dehumanizes everything in it yeah. which just goes back to the point we we're talking about before everybody's lost the humanity in marketing right. because it used to be person to person and then it went media you know printed media physical media and then it went digital so we talk about an audience and we forget there's humans inside and it's madness well, we think about it like a market like a niche yeah like but like they're all created equal yeah. like there's this just a hundred faces all lined up and they all look the same yeah and i just need to sell to five of them because they're my audience yeah they're humans right yeah and the humanity go, has gone out of marketing and and persuasion and these things because everybody forgets there's a human on the other side of the action that you're taking and the message you were taking and that that concept has served me so well in writing and creating for things and it's like the the interaction that you get on and we've talked about this before the vanity metrics that you get on stuff that actually moves the needle builds a relationship makes money and and those pieces it's often there's an inverse correlation mm -hmm. you do the posts with 150 likes on your facebook feed and it does nothing yeah. it doesn't impact anybody because everybody just piles on to say good job yeah but you do the one that got four likes and someone messages you and said oh my god that thing that you said there you really cut through to me and you got a, 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 a person at a certain place in a time you actually touched a human mm. but we've become obsessed with the mass we've become obsessed with needing this audience thing when reality is everybody has one yeah it's not about and, and i think a better way to even reframe it is like you don't need an audience any connection 
with people. Yeah. And that, that group of like... It'd be better if we just got rid of the word. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> guys, we've eliminated it <laughs> we've, now. We've got rid of um, it. We'll be, but, um, beep it out. But uh, I read the other day and it kind of summarized thoughts I'd had for a long time, which is like, if you want to create a deep uh, connection with the audience, go narrow. If you want to create a big audience, go wide. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating to me is uh, how much money I've made that you've made from relatively small audiences. Like yeah. we have friends who are like, I mean, I've got clients who are influencers. Yeah. They have a hundred times the amount of followers that I have and make a fraction of the money because yeah. they've gone wide and have a big audience, but they don't have a deep connection with the audience they have. Yeah. And that's where I think like that's so encouraging to me because for anyone who look, is looking to get started or restarted or has lost momentum, it comes back to the one. Like, how can I write to help the one person? How can I shoot a video with one person in mind? And when I, um, like my YouTube videos now are averaging like 400, 500 views. My first YouTube video that I posted a few months ago got 18 views. And I remember picturing 18 people in like a coffee shop. And I was going like, that's actually a lot of people if I was to be talking and they were to be listening. And it's funny how like numbers, again, take the humanity away because we often overinflate the importance of big numbers and we underestimate the power of the, the small audience that are intently leaning in. Yeah. If you have an audience of 100 people who know, like, and trust you, you can make really good money, right? Kevin Kelly wrote- Ke like Yeah, Kevin Kelly, 1,000 true fans. Yeah, it's such a powerful concept. Is it 100 true fans or 1,000? 1,000, 1,000. Um, but his whole thing was like, if you are uh, passionate about a band or if you're selling t-shirts or like, you know, if you've got 1,000 true fans. Yeah. Um, and so it's just fascinating to me that like, this is, an, this is a conversation that I think many people haven't had with themselves, which is ultimately, why am I doing this? Because I was sold this- dream of I run an ad I have a webinar I have this coaching business and I'm living this laptop lifestyle and they've lost the why and the, if you yeah. lose the service element of like you create content for an audience to help people right a byproduct of that help is trust and a byproduct of trust is purchase but if you don't actually keep the service piece a part of it all you have is this funnel and metrics and you actually struggle to gain traction yeah you're running funnels to generate numbers to look at kpis to optimize click-through rates and then you wonder why you're struggling to create a sense of connection yeah and it's like that game of guess who you're like does your person have glasses you're knocking them down it's like niches work the same way it's like well i'm looking for chiropractors on the internet it's like well let's just get personal like like what types of chiropractors who are they do you know anyone what who's do a they want yeah what do they yeah. want what do they need what's the thing that keeps them up at night all of that kind of stuff yeah um one of the things i wanted to talk about was authenticity yeah i think that's probably the thing i've observed in both of us is the the more comfortable we've been in our own skin the better businesses we've created because we actually are not creating from a place of insecurity and scarcity i yeah. want to be someone on the internet i want to look a certain way and it's been a sense of like, I know for me, the physical the physical sensation I think of is just like, just a sense of comfort yeah. in my skin. What has that journey been like for you over the last couple of years? Um, and was that very gradual? Difficult. Was there a moment like where you're like throwing in the towel on the mimicry and you're going, I'm going all in on James? Like, what has that been like? No, I mean, the only, the only lightning strike moment was when I realized I needed to go online when I was standing in the rain waiting for another ferry. Like that's the only, <laughs> that only was like, screw it. I've got to do something. But everything else has been very progressive. I think two major events were moving to Bali because this place, what does it do to you? I think it, it, it puts you out in an environment that you're not used to. 
and and is very much i mean it's not it's it's not eat what you kill but it's very much you you realize you're outside of the of the normal systems that you normally depend on and then separating from my wife last year which was like oh i have to find myself after being with someone for 25 years which is like who am i because you think you know yourself but when you're in an intimate relationship you both have shared beliefs but you also have beliefs that you need to believe for each other you compromise and and, and there's trade-offs so that those two things have, have been the biggest catalysts along that journey of finding who i really am mm. because again for in the last nine months it's been around doing the things i had to do mm. and and we you talk about authenticity as well it's like the last nine months have been the most brutal emotionally but also financially that I've had to endure for almost a decade for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never felt more certain of who I am and enabling me to operate in that because I had to. I have to. Like people depend on me. So... I think when you get when the, when it gets real, you have to be authentic to yourself. Well, no, you don't. Otherwise, you don't. This is a choice that you've made, right? Like when like when it gets real, you don't have to be authentic to yourself. There is so many different paths you okay. could have taken this year, you know. So why yeah, did we've you choose this one? Like, what was it about this year that you were like? Be, so, like, sorry to interrupt. Like, no, go. So business is moving in a great direction for you now. Yeah. But you could have just as easily gone like, I'm just going to focus on being a dad and not that you're not doing that. Yeah. But you're also like taking leaps and strides in your health and things like that. It's definitely something that you are using to make yourself better. Yeah. But not everyone makes that choice. No. Like, and that's a brutally hard choice because it's much easier to like drink it away or, yeah. or numb or whatever. Yeah. What, what, what has caused you to kind of approach it the way that you have this year? I don't feel I have any choice and that's what keeps me going. And even hearing people say what a good job I'm doing and all those things and I get lots of praise from lots of people makes me uncomfortable. So I'm still working on the being being grateful for who I am and what I do and that, and that kind of receiving bit because I feel uncomfortable now just from you going, you could have done this another way and it could be much worse and it could be objectively. Um, so your faint praise is, uh, is, is always welcome but discomforting. Um, I, I reconfirm stuff that I guess I knew. I love being a dad, but I didn't know that I knew that. Right. You know, because my ex-wife and I had different ideas of children and what, what, they'd, what, what impact they'd had on our lives and those kind of things. And I'm like, no, I actually love being a dad. And I actually love having a loving relationship. So it was like, it was those things of those moments of clarity. Mm. I also think it's easier, you know, I'm 43. I think it's easier as you get older because you just, you've done more stuff and you get more of a sense of, you've done and tried more stuff. So you get more of a sense of the, the decisions you make. But if, cause if you listen to yourself, you, you've got enough instinct to know, you know, which, 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 which where's your North star and where to go. So it's been brutally difficult in the practice of doing the things I've done in the last year but it hasn't been difficult getting myself to do them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think about like how different this would look and feel if you were an accountant. 
going through a mm. brutally hard season. Yeah. Because you rock up to work, you've got your spreadsheets, you've got yeah. your coworkers, you can head down and you can just almost hide. We have a very public well, life. Yeah, but I did do that and I can afford to do that. Right. I can afford to not work. Yeah. For a period of time, right? Yeah. So why do I go back to working and why do I make the decisions I do? Because I got to, I can't not do it. Yeah, I can't so, not then, make ha, stuff. So how did you navigate that though is what I'm trying to get to. Like, because there is, there is a lot of professions that don't have us out publicly having this conversation. Yeah. It doesn't have us posting content and coaching clients and being asked the hard questions. So how did you navigate that almost feeling like the plane is airborne and you're changing both engines at the same time? And so James is rocking up to a coaching call and as opposed to previous seasons of life, probably doesn't feel like he's got it all together, doesn't feel like he knows which way is up. How did you navigate that and actually work through that while you're still working on all those things going on in your life? I pretended. I acted when I needed to that I had my shit together to, to smooth the bits when I did actually have my shit together. Because I've got my shit together. But in, in, in certain moments, you definitely don't feel like it. I had moments there where I was... I remember doing a call with a mutual friend of ours for an hour, for an hour and a half in January that I had to do. And um, he could tell that I was not, not in a good spot. But most other people couldn't. But which is like the skill of, you know, playing a character on the internet. Mm. So I think I navigated it through a mixture of grit and determination, some acting, and then giving myself a lot of grace and and also the sheer fact that I, I I didn't have to do a lot. I had to unwind and unravel a lot of stuff in a, in a business that was starting to show signs of being, you know, a business that I thought I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very leveraged and scaled, and it wasn't necessarily dependent on a personal brand and some of the things that I'm back to doing now. But I think you know everything was a choice, and there were definitely times where I felt like I could curl up and sit in a hole. Right. Still are, but. You know, there's there's a bigger picture at play. I think the kids and a relationship I'm in now that is like got a defined future in terms of something that we're doing and, and going towards have been the most simple factor of that. And then, you know, friends like you and our friend Chris in terms of keeping me sane, in terms of like, and you've reminded me many times that everything's a choice. You get to choose every day. You know, and that, those words sit with me a lot. I remember when you said them to me, you get to choose every day. And um, I'm, I'm lucky that I've built a lot of ways to make choices. I guess if, like you said, if I wasn't, if I was, had a job and I was an accountant and I had to go to nine to five and those things, I don't know how those people get through it. And a lot of mainly men don't yeah. get through it at this time of life because it feels catastrophic. Mm. The end of a, a long relationship with kids and intertwined and all those things. Mm. So it's not been easy and it still isn't, but I think it, it, gives you the, it gives you the reality check of the lived reality that you're actually in mm. because I think these days we can live a fantasy land for a, a long time until the rug's pulled from under us. Mm. And did you feel like that's where you were? Like was it, was, were you living authentically a year ago, like two years ago? Was there any sense of autopilot that, you, that looking back you're like, no, I actually wasn't create like because I, I think about this in terms of business models as well. Right? Yeah. Like there was certain periods of time where 
for me and my my business, I was just following Alex Ramosi. <laughs> I was like freaking. It was like Braveheart. He was on the horse. We were charging four, and we were you know we were warring against scale or whatever. And um and so I was just blindly just doing stuff. And it wasn't until I have these like rock bottom moments or these like I mean never forget going to LA December twenty twenty one. And the best way I could describe it is my body hit like low battery mode. Mm. <laughs> it was like, wah, wah. And uh, it was through those periods where I, it kind of like woke me up a bit. And so was there any sense that there's like things were on autopilot or there was like the playing of a character or anything like that? Or was I it- want to come back to what you just said because I, I was on the inside of that as well. So mm-hmm. I want to give perspective on your side if I can. Go for it. But um, the in hindsight, yes, there was there was just that curse of competency that allowed everything to just to keep rolling on mm-hmm. despite a feeling of disease that kind of permeated large bits of my life that this is this it was kind of the a feeling for a, a decent part mm-hmm. you know of the last of the last year last a couple of a year or two ago and in that period so there, there was definitely things that i ignored but I could put them away because I do have a high pain threshold. I have a tolerance. I have the tolerance that lots of entrepreneurs have mm. because we can tolerate things that other people can't and we just normalize it. And I saw you go through that. I saw you knowing that you needed to stop and slow down and, and focus on yourself. And you were saying to me at the time that you knew you did it, but you didn't feel able to mm. because we were both playing characters Mm. of we need to do this because there's some higher power you know Mm. mummy and daddy coaching issue or mentor you know mentor issues to say what would they think of us if we pulled the plug on this Mm -hmm. 13 person business what would they think of us if we pulled the plug on this 25 year relationship and 15 year marriage Mm. so all the evidence is there for us Mm. and we, we we often know you know, it's the difference between knowing and knowledge, right? Yeah. We know. Our bodies are telling us. Yeah. Like the level that I've talked about with you, you know, about my sleep issues and those kind of things for most of last year. I sleep like a baby now. Yeah. <laughs> like, but most of last year I didn't. Yeah. There's this like karmic force, you know, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, waking you up at three o'clock in the morning telling you that something's off. Yeah. And I just ignored all the signs. Yeah. And I think you, you, recognize bits of that that there was stuff there that was like this is a signal this is a signal this is it's not noise yeah just to 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 say that something needs to change Mm. it's identifying the change which is the biggest challenge and we can't do that ourselves well sometimes fear (laughs) was very difficult anyway sometimes fear looks like wisdom Mm. right so when you have a team and it might not even be like oh what will people think it's like these people have jobs and if i don't have this business they don't have jobs morally obligated to do this right yeah and so for me there was also that layer of like i was so concerned about everyone else's health and safety it's that metaphor of whose whose mask do you put on first for me i felt so indebted to these people on my team that i felt uh indebted to the clients that entrusted their hard-earned money into this business model that i'd created that i was like if i step out of this model I might be serving myself, but I'm doing a disservice to everyone else. Yeah. And even as it turns out, that's not what happened. People found better jobs. Clients love the transition, right? <laughs> but the reality is of like, you you live with that weight. And it's 
it, it's, I don't want to oversimplify it, but so much of human nature and so much of the decisions we find ourselves making really comes down to, are we being influenced by external forces or are we being, uh, our intentions moving us internally yeah. to actually do things and make things happen? Mm. And so like the authenticity journey for me has been really interesting because I stripped it back to, to nothing and I was kind of playing around with those ideas of like, okay, so you have all the money in the world, what do you want to wake up and actually do? And as I was giving myself permission with, without putting the expectations of like, I, but I run a team of all these people and, but I'm working with Alex and mm. you know, what will he think? It became so freeing because I was like, man, I actually think I'm really clear on, on who I am and who I want to be. And I'm not running a business that reflects that, but it, it took me deciding that my health was most important, that my passion was most important, that I, I couldn't just keep upping my, my pain threshold and keep enduring more to for everyone else's mm. sake. I had to like really look after myself, not just from a physical, mental, emotional health perspective, but, but for the longevity of my life. I'm gonna die at some point. Like I have no idea when my life is gonna end. I hope when it does, I can look back on the seasons that I've been living it going yeah. like, I've been living true to who I am. Yeah. Like I've been playing this like, you know, mimicry of trying to be this coach or this coach, but I was living the best way I damn could to be Dan Bolton, to be the truest version of who I am. Mm. And that became, it came, it came because I hit the pain threshold of like, I can't be this other person that other people, that I feel other people need me to be. Yeah. It sounds like this year's kind of been formative for you in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you, you just can't, you know, again, the consequence piece of like, if I am and continue to be that, or if I continue to pretend, then the, the, the cost is coming into view, mm. which is probably what you felt as well. You know, if I keep doing this, bad things are going to happen. Mm. And I think authenticity, I, again, it's one of those words that has kind of been bastardized a bit because authenticity means to lots of people just like share stuff on the internet, you know, to manipulate people. Yeah. Whereas true authenticity is actually living your own life, but also understanding that evolves. Yeah. Like the Dan Bolton of today is not even the Dan Bolton of even tomorrow. Yeah. Right. But there's still the same, there's still the same, you know, entity. Yeah. And going forward, that that this person, authentic. If you're evolving authentically based on the, you know, a small number of things that are important to you, then it's still you. Yeah. But this is what I find interesting about evolution, is that we. I I remember having a conversation with Liv a few years ago, and I was like, I just want to become a new Dan Bolton. I want to become like Dan Bolton 2.0. Yeah. And then I sat there and I thought about it, and I was like. Am I becoming new Dan Bolton or am I becoming true Dan Bolton? Now, funny play on words, but like for me, what's really interesting is like, actually, if I think about who I was as an 18 year old, I'm more reflective of the 18 year old now in this season mm. than I have been for the last five years mm. because I deviated so far from the values and the vision that I had for my life. Now, this is of course not true at every age. I can't look back at Dan Bolton at seven. Literally Dan Bolton at seven wanted to be a backup dancer in the Spice Girls, 100% true. Got my mum to call the uh, travel agents to figure out how much it would cost to fly to the UK. Like You took action. Took you're, an action. A, you're an action I'm an taker. Action, I'm an action, you're an action taker. taker. The action precedes clarity. Believe oh, in my ability God. to figure it out. But when we look at over I'm our I'm going to make that dream come true for you one day. Oh, I promise. Please. I'd, I'd, bring back the reunion. Um, 
when we look over the uh, like our lives, there is actually so much breadcrumbs as to who the true version of us is. Yeah, definitely. So I evolution, agree. we think about it in terms of the self-creation, but it's almost like the self-discovery of the person that was always there. I think Michelangelo um, uh, carved David. Is that is that who did it? Was it Leonardo da Vinci? One of the one of the greats, right? He carved David out of the rock, and he said David was always there. I just had to chip away everything that was not him. And and I think like the process of evolution is almost like that. That yeah. it's not as if you and I are blank slates right now, and we go, who do we want to be? I mean, there's a level of freedom to that, but it's almost like who have we always been yeah. that we've been ignoring this whole yeah. time? Like like the idea for me building my business around creation now. Dude, I grew up playing music. All I mm, wanted to do mm, was play music as mm. an adult. That was the only thing I dreamed of doing was music, drama. Then I then I spent almost a decade of my life where the main part of what I mm. did was speaking and creating messages. Yeah. And then I started an ads agency and I was just an ad accounts all day. And then I built a team and I was just in meetings all day. There was no point where I was like, this is the version of Dan that I feel like I'm supposed to be. I just lost sight of that. And it's it's so tough that it takes really low moments yeah. for us to get there but whatever it takes for us to get there it's almost less about imagining and it's more about remembering i fully agree it's less about imagining agree. the person we could be it's more yeah. about remembering the person we've always been and coming yeah. back to that the, the interesting like one a story i told recently was you know the pervasive childhood memory for me was lego so i would get lego and I'd assemble it and I'd immediately disassemble it and then make it into lots of different things that were my own creations. And it's interesting, I'd done the same thing in business. Right. I'd immediately learn something and then disassemble it and make it slightly mine to yep. get a result from it. And I still do that to this day. That, that innate, okay, there's a pattern here, there's a system to follow, but in the process of building that system, I think I've seen a better way to do it. Mm. I'm going to do it on my own. And again, I ignored that well, so many times where I overplayed that as, you know, as a one-trick pony of being, I'm just going to be a derivative of that. And it is largely remembering that. Find something, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, mm. but then, you know, in a, from a creative sense, stand on the shoulders of giants and then, you know, choose, choose add your own unique piece to it mm. and then choose the path. Because then you'll be as far away from a synthetic derivative of the of the of the core thing yeah and it's funny because i think we either talked about it yesterday or recently where you were talking about your business model right now and the business model in one sentence is do stuff i want to do is yeah. that is that accurate yeah so make cool shit so <laughs> why do we ever complicate it like like why is it that people go through all of the seasons of like being someone they're not and all that kind of stuff is it that we just don't know is it that we feel like we haven't given ourselves permission for it we don't have the skills like because i feel like i'm in the same season i only want to do stuff i'm excited to do and it's super profitable super fun and i'm like why did but i not, why did not i do only, this not only that <laughs> the crazy thing is people admire and respect it much more than any other action because 100%. they're like it is so obvious that someone is living their own lives yeah and that is freedom yeah right so we talk about freedom as the, you know, the highest pursuit of humans and these things, which I believe. And when they see someone doing what they really genuinely want and loving it, people are like, I want to follow this model. Right. And you can be so uncompromising on that. Yeah. Like, I am so uncompromising now. I am so kind of strong boundaries around things that I do. Yeah. And, but in the container... <laughs> 
is a coaching word, in the container of what I make, it's going to be the best thing it possibly is for what it, you know, what it says on the tin. Mm-hmm. And people, people admire and respect that. Yeah. Because they're like, that's freedom. He's doing what he wants. Yeah, I think Joseph Campbell says, we're not so much searching for meaning in life as we are for the experience of being fully alive. Yeah. And then people wonder why, as a stressed out coach, they're struggling to get clients. But it's like, if I'm signing up to a coach who looks like they're miserable and stressed and they hate the business that they're in, yeah. in what world am I going to be feeling more fully alive working with them than another coach who feels like yeah. you're actually looking at their business and you're going, oh, they're having this thing called fun. That's yeah. crazy. And that's been interesting for me is as I've been creating content more in this year, as I've been burned everything to the ground, simplified things, people will say things like, I really like your videos. Don't really know why I feel such a connection with you. I really like your energy hmm. or, so, or something to that effect. And for me, there's marketing psychology and all sorts of stuff. Um, and no doubt I have skills that are undergirding that I've built over the last few years. The biggest thing is like, I'm only creating videos I want to create. Yeah. I refuse to create anything I'm not excited about. So I we have done no YouTube research like when with launching the YouTube channel around like best trends. I'm like, I want to talk about things I want to talk about. Yeah. And I want to talk about them in a way that I'm excited to talk about them. I don't want to just create content for the sake of it. I don't want to create a funnel for the sake of it. I don't want to create anything for the sake of it. But most people, that's where they live from. They live from that energy of need and I have to rather than the energy of I get to. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think there's the big shift that, that a lot of people could make. I think it could, and I think there's a whole industry that's going to prevent them. Right. Which is the one we're in. Right. Because I think, I think a huge amount of people buy coaching or what is called coaching now in terms of the group coaching environment because of trauma bonding. Right. They're looking for an authority figure in their life because they were unfulfilled from the authority figures that were you know, presented to them in early yeah. life. And you've alluded to this. Um, and there's a huge fear of like, you know, annoying mummy or daddy because you don't follow the system. Right. And that, and that has then injected learned helplessness into the actions of people who are scared to move on their own and scared to do what they really want in case they're outcast from the group. Mm. So we've got, we've got mummy and daddy issues, trauma bonding and tribe dynamics or like convalescing around keeping people stuck. Yeah. But just enough people can mimic the business model of the person they're learning from or the the skills or whatever it is to be successful for that to for the that scheme to continue yeah but the the failure the failure rates of the promise result in this industry are disgusting mm. they're single figure percentages because the the promise has got so big and so ridiculous and the guarantees got so out of this world <laughs> thanks mr hormozy i see the book purple book over there yeah yeah you know or you don't pay um that it's acceptable to have like single figure kind of success things yeah but the interesting thing about what both you and I have done is like not measured success just on money. Right. We're, we're, we're talking to people and saying, what, what lights you up? Do you want a fun business? Do you want to do it with ease? Yeah. Because you can have profit as well. Yeah. But it's a byproduct of these things. And we talk about profit. We talk about money. We talk about all these things because they're important to get freedom. And they're downstream from these things. And they enable, resources enable us to do things. Yeah. But I think the interesting thing that the interesting journey both you and I are on right now is that we're not doing it. We're, we're not making money that's compromising the fun and the ease and the values and those things. Yeah. And that's what people resonate with. They're yeah. like, because money is actually, people hate that. Money is actually easy. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. The other stuff is difficult. Oh yeah. But if you, if it, it it's got to be the right money, it's got to be the right scoreboard. 
And that's what people are looking for. And that's, <coughs> that's a healthy byproduct of a sophistication of a marketplace as well. Because mm-hmm. people, someone said to me in a, in a message this morning, I'm not looking for another guru right now. And I was like, you know, tongue in cheek back saying, thank you for tangentially calling me a guru. What do you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then just start, ask some questions like, what do they want and those things? Yeah. And, and none of the questions are like, how much money do you want to make? Yeah. It's like, what are you doing right now? What are you enjoying? What are you hating? What do you want us to look like? Yeah. You know, and what's meaningful to you in terms of profitability and those things from where you are? Yeah. You know, in many cases, the hard thing that people won't let go of is that to change business models and change some of the things that they need to change because they're keeping them trapped. Yeah. There is a period where you go backwards before you go forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had to go backwards before I went forwards, you know, in, 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 in recent history. Yeah. Um, but I needed to do it for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. But I also had accepted that that was going to be the case, that I could, I could take the L's for a few months to get back on, you know, to, to actually do and be inside something that I loved. I think like this kind of brings me to the word of the theme that I had for this year, which is this whole idea of conscious. Yeah. And I hate that in the way that it gets hijacked by the spiritual <laughs> entrepreneurs of like, we work with conscious coaches. And I understand We're repurposing the all these words. 100%, yeah, we're, we're claiming them back. But, but this idea of like, I want to build a life based off intention. I want to be awake at the wheel, not asleep at the wheel, not on autopilot. And I think like, my hope is for anyone like listen to this conversation, that they realize that without knowing all the details, it yeah. starts with a decision. Am I going to try and, like I was listening to someone the other day that was saying the opposite of being yourself is fitting in. Because fitting in requires you to be someone you think the tribe needs you to be to fit in well. Yeah, it's, literally, authentically. Take, it's literally taking the shape of something to, to make it fit. Exactly, right? And so most of us have spent our lives tr- being professional fitting inners, right? (laughs) We have managed the perception of other people. We want to go to the event. We don't want to be the odd one out. We don't want to be at the the metaphorical lunch table by ourselves. We want to be in a tribe. And what that often means is we have to sacrifice who we are to be what we think the tribe needs us and wants us to be. And for me, it sounds like it's for you. It comes down to this decision you make, which is that am I living for others or am I going to live for myself? And that doesn't mean am I living a life of selfishness or selflessness. The most selfless thing you could do is live a life that's fully expressing yourself in service of others. Yeah. But it's not even a good strategy because being a freaky weirdo gets you the most attention. (laughs) (laughs) Like like fitting fitting in is like the least profitable thing that anyone can do, yet everybody's doing it. But because it's not for the reasons of strategy, yes. it's for the reasons of, you know, self-worth. It's yes. for the reasons of self-esteem. Yeah. So it doesn't even make any sense on the, in the game that people are trying to play yeah. of fitting it. Because standing out is the most profitable thing you can ever do in today's society. And isn't it so ironic? It's like in pursuit, like that's what I found with, with the season I'm in is the less I focus on money and the more I focus on doing stuff I want to do, the more money I make. Yeah. Yeah. The more fun I have, the more it makes. No, like to the point where we talked about this yesterday. It was like, it should feel like it's cheating. Yeah, yeah. Right? If like success, like it should feel like it's cheating. Yeah. And sometimes I look around and go, this must be cheating. Yeah. I've had a couple of days this week where I was like, this has got to be cheating. Yeah. 100%. That I did that. I did that much and I got this much back. Yeah. Across multiple domains, you know, financial and, you know, meaning and, and all those things. Yeah. Like, this feels like cheating. 
Well, this, this come, just comes back to this idea of self-awareness. Who am I? What am I passionate about? What are my skill sets? What kind of life do I want to lead? And then what business will help me achieve those things? And I think if people ask those questions uh, like we have, you come up with some really hard answers sometimes, which is yeah. that like I'm making, I have a business that is exists to pay the bills or fuel the ego or deal with the insecurities rather than one that's expression of my, for lack of a better term, my soul's work, my calling, yeah. like why I feel like I'm on earth. And I just think for me, this year has been a line in the sand year of I am no longer doing life on autopilot. I'm mm. not trying to be someone else mm. uh, that I, I feel like I need to be. I, I want to be the most authentic expression of myself. Still figuring it out. Haven't yeah. figured it out. Finding my voice, still doing all that stuff. Yeah. But it came from the conscious decision of like enough is enough. And I yeah. think like that's where a lot of people I think need to get to that point. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes a lot of pain to get there. But if someone can mm. manufacture the point of clarity of just like, I'm not going to wait until I, you know, um, go through a really hard season of separation or hit low battery mode and burn out and all that. But they just pull themselves aside and just like get really clear on what they want. I think yeah. it'd be a huge yeah. gift to so many people. Yeah. I think the pain, I think pain is essential, but I think the suffering is optional. And that's why I think the, these ideas of mentorship of community are so critical and leadership are so critical to now because they don't don't remove but they mitigate and ease the suffering right you know what's a terrible analogy i'll go for a terrible analogy if you go and lift weights and you do we've both done crossfit you do fran right dang yeah (laughs) so you do doing fran on your own and doing it in a room full of people are different things Mm. right they both hurt but one you've got to mentally suffer and motivate yourself the other one there's people around you music status you know all those things and this is where i think the the concepts of community mentorship are just there not to take the pain away because the difficult questions must be asked and the work must be done but they can definitely mitigate some of the suffering Mm. and that's what i'm in it for like i'm not trying to take pain away the same as parenting i'd love to take all the pain away from my kids Mm. but i also know that there's some dire consequences for them and i think most parents feel like that to some degree Mm. we'd love to not make them fall over and stumble and have horrible things happen to them but the lessons that you know the lessons they get from them are are priceless yeah and i see the same as like with people and clients and ideas and these things it's like if you're there and you can mitigate the suffering and make the pain worthy because there's a good why behind it because they're doing they're 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 inflicting the right pain on themselves then that's what that's what i'm here for anyway yeah and that and that is the distinction is it's not about is entrepreneurship gonna be hard even in the midst of it's not a question a you business. need to ask anymore right? yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be but even in the fun stuff it's like we we i mean entrepreneurship is hard because you you never live up to your potential so even if things are easy on the model side you're never satisfied in the sense that there's always more in the tank there's always more that can be accomplished yeah. and so like hard is uh difficult because you've got to get skills and traits and all those types of things but you want the smart type of pain, not the foolish type of pain, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they are suffering uh, unnecessarily. Like I'll never forget like messaging Hormozzi a few years ago. I said, what do you think of 75 hard? And I'll, I'll never forget what he said back. He said, most entrepreneurs mistake difficulty for progress. Yeah. Oh, if this is hard, the harder something is, the better it must be for me, right? Yeah. But there is a good training session in the gym and there is a stupid training session in the gym. 
right? There is one where you get inadequate recovery, where you overstress the muscles, where you train so much to failure that you're not in a uh, point of growth, you're now injured, right? And that's where I think most people live in that red line state. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. It right? doesn't. But I do think that you need to go there a couple of times to understand it doesn't need to be that way. You got to touch a few stoves to know that you have, fire I, burns. I, I'm convinced you have to. I think we can model. I think we can learn. I think we can take shortcuts. And I think the information on the, and the, the connection advantage we have in the world we live in is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Like what a time to be alive. But I don't, I don't think you can make progress without, you know, as you say, touching a few stoves. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you make your own true progress to understand your preferences yeah because we both know people that we love that have business that have businesses and lives that we would hate but they love them yeah so we both they needed to go through the journey to build that life and if we'd gone through it we would have just had a different path yeah so yeah i, th- I think you need to go through you need to do stuff to find out that you don't want to do stuff mm. or which which stuff you want to do more specifically yeah you gotta you gotta do seasons of uh, not being yourself to find out who you are. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, as we sit here now today, I'm pushing a lot of stuff very hard. And I've shared with you, you know, in the last few days, I'm like, if I continue to push all the domains I'm pushing and now I'm pushing a lot of things physically, I'm putting, pushing a lot of things mentally, um, you know, financially and, and with ambition, that if I continue to push on all these domains as hard as I'm pushing on all these, I'll burn out. Mm. So soon I'm going to need to make a decision on, which the next season but i'm pushing everything hard to get to a point where i can coast on a couple of things yeah while i while i push the next thing in the leg up mm. and that to me i wouldn't have had that wisdom even relatively recently it was just like push at all costs and redline out because i've got a high capacity mm. and i think a lot of people fall into that trap because they've got a high capacity they're always trying to find it so they, they go and burn out and try and do do everything push everything run after everything yeah, I'm doing 75 hard and I'm going to add a million to my revenue in the next month. And, you know, I've got five girlfriends and whatever, whatever the, you know, whatever their focus is. But there, there are seasons of like, you can push everything, but it's about momentum. It's right. about achieving momentum in those and then allowing those things to have their own momentum. So then that they then serve you, whether it's your body, your mind, your relationship, your, your business or whatever it is. Agreed. Bro, we've been at this for a while. This Have has we? been a joy. Have we? I don't know, an hour and something, hour and a half, something like that. Oh my goodness. Um, it's been a great time. Uh, first of many. Um, I know you've launched something recently and you're kind of like going back to something you used to love doing yeah. a lot. Daily emails, swipemymarketing.com. Yeah. Is that what people Do you like go? the domain? Yeah. I own so many, I just had to choose one. <laughs> I, when, you did, when you brought it up, I was like, this is so random, but you, you as in you, I didn't know yeah. you owned it and, and all of that. Well, my, I, just a little bit of thinking behind that. It was like, I got sick of, you know, the, I didn't like the whole, you know, three secrets thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like a full send person. So I'm like, if you want it, use it, take it. I'm going to give everything away and, you know, give away all the insights and show you behind the scenes mm-hmm. and then make a lot of the things like the digital products I'm making super accessible. Like I just did a hundred dollar thing. Um, and if you want help, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so to me, it was like congruent with where I'm at with like 15 odd years of, doing stuff online and making offers and doing seeing millions of them literally Mm -hmm. um that it was like i know a lot of stuff i'm going to share a lot of stuff if you swipe it great if you want some help cool yeah let's go so it it, it felt felt like it felt like 
the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And the thing I want to land on, because it, it's reflective of authenticity of finding the right model is you're starting up a daily email or a mostly daily yeah. email. Yeah. So talk about why that was important for you to come back to that and how can people get on that? Yeah. So swipe my marketing.com sign up. <laughs> Writing's, writing's been a practice for two decades. I write lots of words, helps me think. Um, daily emails, supernatural and supernatural, very natural for me to do so I can write, I can write a couple of things a day and put, and put words out really easily. And it's always the, the things I can do consistently are the most important things. And what's my highest leverage activity was always the, the, the choice I make. So I send an email every day. I make an offer every day. You know, if people want my help, if people want to buy something, great. If they want to unsubscribe, great. All, all the offers are on the table. <laughs> so for me, it was like, what can I do consistently? What's my highest leverage activity? I don't do a ton of video or a ton of, you know, other media. Writing in the word is my thing. And so what's my highest leverage activity and, and how do I put that out? And it's back to, back to email, back to sending regularly. Um, and it's great. You get, you know, after being on social for so long, you get a depth and connection and a privacy and an intimacy that you don't necessarily get in DMs, which are short. Mm -hmm. You have people writing War and Peace coming back to you like, this is this and this, I've been through this, I've been through this, I want to do this, does this even exist? Yeah. And you can have proper conversations and, and, and a different pace. Yeah. You know, the online world is like, literally something is forgotten the moment it's out there. Whereas with email and, and these things, it's, it's an ongoing conversation and a depth. Yeah. And at a time in my life when the depth matters much more than the width. So it's the right thing at the right time. I love it. It's also that self-awareness piece, right? I was, we've been hanging out all year more than normal because we're living, uh, not together, but basically together. <laughs> and um, you were talking about writing this kind of ebook. I think you're putting out, I don't know if you're still putting it out, but, um, and then I was uh, listening to this guy called Dan Coe and he's like writing online. And so yeah. I went through this period of like, I'm just going to write. Yeah. Miserable. I was like yeah. staring at a blank page being like, I hate this. I love putting together quick posts, but I'm video audio. That's my thing. Yeah. Um, and so I love that you've gone back to that because I've, I've seen your enjoyment factor of business go up dramatically where you're like, wait a minute, there's this thing I used to do that I enjoy really doing. Yeah. I stopped doing it. I enjoy really it less. Effective. And now, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's just a, a, such a simple piece of like, what do you enjoy doing? Look at the breadcrumbs of the past and, and do more of the stuff you enjoy doing that's a reflection of who you are and less of the stuff that's not. Yeah, but can I share, because this is really insightful for people, that I'm still jealous of you having a YouTube channel and a Dylan and all these cameras and this and those things. And I could subtly convince myself that I should be doing all this. Right despite that not being my highest leverage and biggest opportunity. Yeah. You know, the thing I should be doing. I get it. And so I feel that, the exact that, that same never, way in reverse. That never goes away. I feel the exact same way in reverse. So self-awareness is like, <laughs> because that never goes away. I'm like, Dan's got a YouTube channel. It's really cool. Man, his thumbnails are sexy. And Dylan, <laughs> Dylan's like, he's got his shit to, oh, yeah. I want this. And then I'm like, I'm just going to write my email. <laughs> I, th I think the same way. I literally think about how much better my thinking would be if I wrote every day. And I don't get me wrong, I write often on Facebook, but they're not like posts or emails or well yeah. thought out. It's like literally stream of consciousness, no editing posted. And it's that funny thing of like, we always look at the business model of someone else that we don't have, that they have, that we convince ourselves must be better <laughs> um, than it is for them. And what I love is you look at Joe Rogan, who's never shot a reel in his life, who's never written a blog, who doesn't write Facebook posts. And he just does podcasts and he does what he does and he's Joe Rogan and it crushes. 
And so it's not about doing the right thing. It's about doing yeah. the thing that's the most right for you. Yeah. And that will work the best and create the deepest connection and the best business. Um, good place to land the plane. I appreciate yeah. your time. I, yeah, I appreciate your friendship. Um, I, I um, am looking forward to many more of these conversations. Yeah, and I just thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Scale School. I hope you found something valuable in today's episode. If you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you can be notified every time we drop future episodes. And if you and I have not already connected, feel free to track me down on any one of the social media platforms. My big head and smiling face are no doubt going to be there. And you can just search my name, Dan Bolton, and we can connect there. But thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you in a future episode.